Welcome to Strategy Talk, where the editors and contributors of Strategy Watch discuss current events and other military-related topics with a splash of history. I'm your host, Dan Masterson. Joining us today is Jim Dunnigan, editor of Strategy Page, well-known military author, and acknowledged pioneer and innovator in board war games. Also joining us today is Austin Bay, associate editor of Strategy Page, military author, columnist, and retired Colonel U.S. Army Reserves. Welcome, Austin and Jim. F-16 has been approved to go to Ukraine, Jim. What is the effect of that going to be on the war efforts there? Well, it gives the uh, Ukrainians a much better aircraft than anything the Russians have. You know, while the uh, F-16 kept getting improved, uh, you know, after the Cold War ended, uh, the Russian, you know, uh, aircraft manufacturing industry. One thing the F-16 had, in fact, Western aircraft in general, was an integrated cockpit or a, a, a how should I put it, a, a glass cockpit with, uh, you know, a lot, uh, a lot easier to use uh, instruments. There was also the uh, the uh, helmets, uh, which the Israelis pioneered, which have a built-in uh, head-up display. So the pilot can basically never have to put it, uh, you know, look down to do anything with the controls. It's all right in front of them on the uh, on the in, on the head-up display on the screen in front of them. Uh, and the latest version is basically look and shoot. All he has to do is turn around. And, uh, you know, blink or whatever, I forget what exactly what the cue is, uh, but it will launch a, uh, a heat-seeking uh, missile at where he's looking, and it will, you know, basically go after the target. Uh, the uh, American aircraft always had an easier-to-use uh, cockpit. The Russians still have a lot of, you know, uh, switches and, you know, all sorts of nonsense that you've got to be, you're going to be distracted by uh, whenever you're doing anything. Uh, the Ukrainians tried to overcome some of this with their Russian air, uh, aircraft because they were adding American weapons, which technically you're not supposed to be able to do, but they did it. Um, resourceful, those Ukrainians. Um, but by getting the F-16, they can dispense with all that, and they basically have a much superior aircraft. Uh, not only for, you know, air-to-air combat, but also for ground attack, which is what they'll probably use it for more than anything else. Um, it can carry a wide array of weapons. It has a uh, ASA radar, that's a solid-state radar, uh, which has a much longer range and uh, is much better at targeting, you know, uh, locating uh, and identifying a target and, uh, you know, launching a bomb or a missile or what have you. Um, the Russians have nothing like that. They never did, and apparently they never will at the rate they're going. Their Air Force is basically falling apart, and uh, they're suffering losses they can't replace. So, you know, <laughs> the F-16 is basically going to, you know, uh, help the Ukrainians win their war faster and uh, basically, you know, put the what's left of the Russian Air Force in its grave because, you know, like I say, the Russians never had much to begin with, and now that's all disappearing very quickly. Austin, what do you see as the effects? Well, let me pick up on a, a couple of the uh, technical things, uh, the, the uh, comments that uh, uh, Jim made. Uh, one of the things was, I, uh, this is completely unknown by me, what 
kind of uh, communication suites or connections, connectivity, connectivity beyond the other Ukrainian planes, uh, other Ukrainian F-16s, uh, Ukrainian ground control and the like, uh, that these uh, planes will be equipped with. I, I know what U.S. and NATO air aircraft uh, use. It's, it's possible to for uh, a U.S. aircraft uh, F-16 uh, to be linked up <clears throat> on an operation with a Norwegian F-16 and a Turkish F-16. Uh, it's uh, you know, uh, and uh, communications are sweet. I mean, it can be turned on, turned off, and, and the like. And the, the, it's uh, that that would apply to all strike and. Uh, and uh, re reconnaissance uh, uh, aircraft and air co air control aircraft uh, in NATO, but it's uh, it's something that's, that is uh, uh, let's call it Western NATO. The J the Japanese and South Koreans uh, can tap into it uh, as well. Uh, all right, Jim talked about uh, uh, some of the uh, uh, human aircraft. Uh, uh, innovations that uh, the F-16 uh, possesses, making it uh, uh, far more survivable and uh, far more deadly. And he says it's going to tear up the whatever is left of the Russian Air Force. I think it will do that, Dan, over Ukrainian territory, because uh, once you get uh, into the Russian uh, ground air defenses and, and deeper into Russia, if you're going to try to use it for a strike on a Russian strategic uh, uh, bomber base, uh, I would I would not do that. I think that uh, it'd be lost. I, I, uh, of course, I, I don't know what the Ukrainians know or <laughs> NATO uh, uh, allied intelligence knows about uh, penetration routes to some of the uh, strategic bases that are deeper in Russia. And the reason I bring them up, Dan, is that this is something that we've covered in, in strategy talk and Jim's certainly written about on, uh, on, on strategy page is that it's they use their bombers as uh, missile launchers and they, they don't even come over uh, Ukrainian territory uh, as based on, on the range of some of the missiles they're using they may not come within 200 250 kilometers of uh, the uh, uh, Russian uh, Ukrainian border <clears throat> and they launch it uh, from enough uh, altitude and then turn around and fly back that's uh, I'm gonna guess I could be dead wrong, but I'm going to guess that that's still going to be a tough target, even once the Ukrainians get the F-16. Now let's let's go to some of the uh, quote-unquote human factors. <clears throat> I never bought the uh, line coming out of the uh, uh, Pentagon and the and and Washington that uh, we can't give them F-16s. It'll take them too long to train them. In part, I read uh, I read two different versions of this uh, interview with a Ukrainian pilot, he, he'd been flying uh, MiG-29s when his MiG-29 <laughs> still worked, and then he'd moved to a, a, another aircraft, I forget, uh, get which, and he'd shot down at least four uh, uh, Russian uh, uh, Russian jets in combat. And this was, this is, I'm going to say, April or May of uh, 2022, I read the, uh, the, these articles. And he says uh, he was asked about how long it would take him to transition to an F-16, and he says, "Look, all of these, all of these aircraft, they are they're different." And he says, "And I know some of the things about the F-16." He says, 
I think I could learn in about a day. And of course, he sounded like the hotshot uh, type that's a really successful uh, <clears throat> uh, jet fighter pilot, air-to-air uh, uh, -air combat type uh, 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 type pilot. But I think that that is he's he's telling substantial truth. He wasn't being just cocky. <laughs> it, might, it might take him a week. Uh, no, would he be up to quote unquote uh, NATO standards or being able to fly like a, a RAF? Uh, U.S. Air Force, the Israelis, no, but he'd be good, and he'd be better, as Jim has indicated, than his uh, uh, Russian uh, Russian enemies. But it wasn't that they didn't listen to him, as discounted. Uh, he wasn't the only uh, Ukrainian pilot that I read about saying, "Give us F-16s." As a matter of fact, I think either we discuss this. After recording a strategy talk, or we did it on a strategy talk, this came up sometime uh, last year, and I made the point uh, that uh, it would be so easy to cascade out of the uh, U.S. Air Force Reserve F-16 uh, uh, units and uh, U.S. Air Guard F-16s, you know, you'd, you'd be able to uh, provide the Ukrainians with a couple of dozen or three dozen F-16s without <clears throat> in any way harming uh, U.S. readiness. And <clears throat> those would be replaced by the, what is it, the new F-16 Viper that uh, we're uh, buying the latest uh, update of the, uh, uh, of the F-16. Uh, I, I don't remember if we did that live or not, but I was just coming up with a way uh, logistically uh, politically and quickly uh, to get out of the U.S. inventory of our of our res of our reserve forces, they wouldn't be top uh, notch, latest model, latest version of the L-16, but they'd be very very good. And of course, that didn't happen. And it's been another uh, year uh, or at least ten months, and now we're finally moving to a a point where they're uh, going to acquire the aircraft, but then I, I just read uh, uh, yesterday that a Pentagon spokesman said it's going to take anywhere from four to six months before we uh, have the the Ukrainians are able to uh, use these uh, use these aircraft. So we're going to have to find them, and you know the the, the um, implication in the Pentagon statement was is we'll have to find these aircraft. Well, I know where they are, and I know how quickly you could move on it if you gave uh, the command decision uh, to, to do it. Now, what does it mean? Jim's already said what it means for the remnant Russian Air Force. <clears throat> These are also, you know, if, if, if you manage to suppress Russian uh, air, uh, ground, uh, ground air defenses, I, I, I see them as, as being a real asset in close air support. Uh, selected selected targets, and uh, it's um, it's it's something that they needed, and it's it's sad that the Ukrainians it's taken so long to get them to at least begin the process of getting the F-16s. So, Jim, are the F-16s going to come from other NATO countries too? Yes, there are several there are several uh, NATO countries that are basically uh, converting to F-35s. And they have plenty of surplus F-16s, and they're ready <laughs> to move them into um, into Ukraine. 
the Ukrainians have also, the Ukrainian pilots are very familiar with the F-16. I mean, there are ways you can study them without actually being in one. And apparently the Ukrainians have been provided with simulators and, and various other, you know, learning devices. Uh, so basically it won't take them, as Austin, I think, pointed out, take it a few days, or <laughs> but most a week before they're pretty proficient. The F-16 also has excellent digital, ex- excellent digital communications. Uh, they can basically uh, transla- transfer information from one to another, uh, or as Austin pointed out, you know, to other NATO uh, F-16s. Uh, in Ukraine, the Ukrainians would basically be operating on their own, not with any NATO forces. Uh, but the Ukrainians are eager and able to make a quick use of any F-16s we can send them. And like I say, there are, are European allies who are already waiting. Uh, they have F-16s available, and they can have them in there, you know, in a few days or a week or whatever, and, and put them to work. And I think that's come as a shock to many people because the American Air Force has always been, you know, oh, poo-poo, you know, it'll take them so long to learn it and blah, blah, blah. They underestimate, you know, the fact that the Ukrainians have again and again shown that they're very quick uh, to uh, learn how to use new weapons. They've done that time and again, and the F-16s won't be any different. Austin, are there other weapon systems that should be sent to Ukraine at this point, or do they have everything that they need? Well, they definitely don't have everything they need. Let, 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 let me put it this way. It depends on the way you, you, you ask, you, you, emphasis of that, that question. The Ukrainians have in, uh, in trump cards uh, the guts of what they need, which is determination, uh, national will, technical expertise. That's what Jim was talking about, that the, how, how quickly they learn how to use things or because you know it's, it's also a porosity of information if you want to find out about new artillery systems or new propellants new uh, types of ammunition they just go on the internet or or uh, troll through uh, uh, subscription services like uh, uh, aerospace uh, defense daily or Jane's or the like and you can get a if you're a savvy to uh, weapons and military technology you can learn a lot just from the advertisements but uh, they so they they've got that down and that that's what's often called the intangibles or uh, when, when Jim talks about human factors or writes about that and and how to make war uh, they, they've got that what do they need well uh, remember Zelensky's uh, wisecrack after the Biden administration said that told him to get out he says I I, I don't I don't need transportation I need ammunition or something to that effect, uh, they need ammo. And they've been getting a lot of ammo from all kinds of sources, uh, not just NATO, uh, but uh, also uh, European neutrals. Uh, uh, even, you know, even the Swiss have supplied them with uh, 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 military-related equipment. I'm not sure about uh, art- artillery uh, ammunition. I know through various trade-off deals, uh, South Korea has provided them with uh, artillery ammunition, replacing U.S. stocks, I think, is the way it was done diplomatically and politically. And Japan quite recently came out and said something that everybody had kind of known Japan's been doing for about a year, which is 
providing Ukraine uh, uh, with advice and uh, uh, material uh, material aid. So they need ammo. They need artillery ammo. Uh, we talked about that in a recent uh, uh, strategy talk about the ammunition consumption uh, rates. Um, I think they need longer range uh, missiles. Uh, the British have upped the ante with their storm shadow, but uh, I think Ukraine needs needs uh, weapons. Yes, that can uh, hit Russian uh, supply and uh, logistic centers uh, and uh, headquarters. <laughs> that, yeah. Are they on the Russian side of the border? They're supporting operations inside Ukraine. Uh, I realize that uh, ups the uh, a risk of quote unquote a spreading war, but if, you, if you're going to be decisive on this, the Ukrainians need to be able to stop uh, the uh, you know hit key Russian uh, supply and headquarters uh, uh, nodes. Uh, and better to do it, I think, with uh, uh, artillery or, 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 or missiles than uh, than uh, risk aircraft. The aircraft intrusion would be a, a real diplomatic. Uh, out of uh, uh, pucker factor. Uh, they need those. Now, you, if you want to start talking about tanks, um, it's that's so slow with that. I, we talked about this uh, sometime this, this spring about Leopard, Leopard 2s and uh, uh, advanced M1 Abrams uh, and the like. Again, how long it takes to, to bring uh, crews up to snuff doesn't really take that long when you've got experienced tankers, which the Ukrainians uh, Ukrainians do. But which one was the best for them? I, I, I think Jim and I had a little disagreement about this. I'm, I'm an Abrams guy to the max, uh, but you're, you're running it on uh, aviation fuel, essentially, you know. Uh, and uh, the Leopard runs on diesel, and the, that's what the Ukrainians, it's far easier to apply. And uh, I think the, the Leopard 2 is the, the, the tank they need. I think a lot of the Ukrainians think the uh, Leopard 2 is the uh, tank you need. I'm not saying the Leopard 2 is better than the uh, Advanced Abrams. I don't think it is. And I don't think it's uh, better than the uh, Advanced uh, British uh, British tanks. Uh, uh, the Challenger, I think. But the uh, and the Leclerc is a good tank. The uh, French uh, equivalent of these uh, Modern uh, main battle uh, battle tank, but the Leopard makes sense for them, and I don't think I don't think you get by with 80 Leopards. Uh, what is a decisive figure? Well, I actually sat down and gamed this out last year, and I think I think they need at least 250, 250, and of course uh, uh, backed up by. Uh, the appropriate mix of, of, of mechanized infantry, uh, but it's just not counting tanks. It's got to be combined arms warfare, which I know we've talked about, and heck, I've written about that. The Ukrainians have shown that they understand how to do the deadly ballet, as it's called. I mean, you've got your tanks mixed with mechanized infantry and uh, uh, local air defense cover, hopefully. <laughs> you've got to get back to F-16s. <laughs> You've got uh, close air support and at least air parity, if not uh, air superiority, uh, over your uh, mechanized forces. That's 
the way the U.S. likes to fight. That's the way anybody who wins needs to fight. You need to have you need to have a <clears throat> better than air parity because the uh, armored vehicles are are vulnerable to, to long-range fire and, and uh, air, air attack. But I came up with that roughly 250, and it was Leopard 2s in the mix. In other words, basically uh, what you'd have if you had a up, uh, full up, uh, full up plus uh, armored division, and uh, and that I think is a breakthrough force. Uh, it's it's going to have to have engineer support as well. That's another. That's something I don't know a lot about in the U Ukrainian uh, uh, inventory, but the you know, mobile bridges, uh, armor vehicle launch bridges, AVLBs, as, as, as they're called in the in the uh, U.S. Army. Uh, that's that if you're going to fight and you have to cross uh, major rivers, uh, you need those, and uh, you need to be able to protect them and protect them by. Uh, from from air uh, attack and uh, be able to fire counter battery at enemy uh, artillery unit. They'll be shooting at those bridges because they're uh, choke points. Uh, but you need them in order to get across, so you can uh, conduct a mobile attack. So again, I think they're getting some of the weapons. I guess is the way we should have put it. They're getting some of the types of weapons they need. I don't know that they have enough, Dan. Well, they've already received about 100 uh, Leopard 1s, the older Leopard, which many European countries kept in reserve just in case. And the Ukrainian uh, situation came along and said, well, this is what we kept them for. And these are already being used. Now, these are not as heavily armored as the Leopard 2. They're basically uh, a 1960s no, design. But they're adequate enough. And they've got about 100 of them in there already uh, providing uh, support uh, artillery support for attacks, for as you also put it, combined arms attacks. Uh, you've got the, you can have dozens of these uh, Leopard ones with their 105 uh, millimeter, uh, you know, cannon, uh, delivering uh, firepower to the infantry up front, and that's more than anything the Russians can deal with. I mean, the most modern Russian tanks, yes, are superior to the Leopard one, but the Russians haven't got many modern tanks in Ukraine. And the Leopard 1 to them is, you know, just as horrifying and uh, a threat as, uh, as Leopard 2s. Um, so, you know, the, the Ukrainians are taking anything they can get and putting it right to work. Uh, so they're not really waiting for the, uh, the you know, the, uh, the, the uh, Abrams. By the way, the Abrams is, is a multi-fuel engine. So they can basically, you know, uh, burn anything. Uh, that's something that, uh, you know, often gets lost because we usually can give them just one type of jet fuel and standardize on that. But the tank was designed to basically, you know, burn anything. And it's turned out to be, you know, still you're quite successful with that. So the and the Ukrainians, you know, knew that <laughs> they're, they're ready to try it. They have plenty of anything that burns, you know, to put into the uh, Abrams to keep them going. Uh, and, and as we've already seen, they've taken these Leopard 1s and put them right to work. Uh, so the Russians are already in a world of hurt because the Ukrainians are basically taking any any Western tanks they can get and uh, demonstrating that they're superior to anything the Russians can put in their way. So I, I think the Russians are in for a big, big trouble. They won't have to wait, you know, several months for the uh, uh, for United States or, you know, NATO to get them the, the latest stuff. 
They've already got the good enough stuff, and it's doing the job. Let me make a comment about Leopard One. I, I got to climb on one in 1975 when I was in the 11th Cal unit. I think it was the 12th Panzer that was headquartered in Wurzburg. And I also saw one of them moving. It just looked like it was you know, fast as lightning, low, and it's got a, it got a 105 on it. The criticism uh, I got, and I, as I recall, it was a Canadian officer. Uh, maybe a year later, talking about, about uh, leopards, I think it was 76 or something like that, that he didn't put it this way, but he says they're too lightly armored. And you'll see occasional criticism uh, again uh, in the uh, defense press and like the, of a leopard one calling it a tank destroyer like tank because, as Jim mentioned, the, uh, the lighter armor. Um, it's vulnerable to overhead attack. There's no question about that. It's, uh, and it doesn't have the, uh, you know, anywhere it's near the modern armor, the Chatham type armor that uh, the Abrams and uh, Leopard 2 and uh, uh, other advanced NATO tanks uh, uh, have. But uh, adequate? Yeah, especially if you've got a trained tank crew uh, that knows how to, how to use it. And uh, Jim, you're right on this about the, uh, likely uh, Russian armored vehicles they'd come up against, they, uh, 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 what do they call it, APFSDS, armor-piercing, fin-stabilized, discarding Sabo 105 round, <laughs> has a good penetration characteristics of 1,200 meters. Now, I fired a couple of them. I'm not talking about service Sabo, not just the... Uh, a target practice uh, 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 version, and they got a lot of kick, and they got a lot of uh, a lot of penetrating power. Uh, so, you know, Jim, your point is uh, is well taken about the Leopard One. Yeah, the one thing I worried about with all those uh, Leopard Ones they're sending in, did they have enough ammunition? Well, apparently, so far they do, <laughs> because the tank hasn't been in active service for years. But the, uh, you know, like I said, they didn't throw the ammunition away or they had they were able to fabricate new ammunition. Um, and the uh, Ukrainians are doing quite a job, you know, with these uh, so-called uh, you know, obsolete tanks. Uh, the Russians have uh, few effective anti-tank weapons against any tank. Uh, so the Ukrainians are basically uh, moving into a, uh, a low threat environment uh, with these uh, the Leopard 1s. And any other tanks they can get, and I think I think that's what worries the Russians the most. Uh, they're very short. I mean, they basically uh, just lost almost all their modern tanks in the first few months of the war, and they haven't been able to replace them. I mean, their their tank replacement uh, capability is quite low, and they're complaining about that in Russia. That it's going to take them years to basically replace all they lost in the first few months in Ukraine, and that's one of the reasons why a lot of Russians are calling for you know let's just stop this. You know, get out, uh, because otherwise we're going to be uh, involved in a war that we, we can't win, and we're going to just keep taking a lot of losses. Now, Putin doesn't go along with that, but his uh, his uh, situation is getting shakier and shakier. And that's another story. That's more, you know, uh, political than military. But, you know, the Russians are getting tired of uh, being sent into a meat grinder in Ukraine. Uh, Ukrainians, as was Austin pointed out, are willing to fight. It's their country. Uh, they're not a lost province of Russia or whatever. And, uh, you know, that alone is enough to, uh, was enough to give the, uh, 
the Russians' headaches. In fact, in the in the initial invasion, uh, the Ukrainians had very few modern weapons, but the ones they had, they put right to use, and they chewed up the Russians big time. And uh, now they've gotten, you know, uh, more we- more modern weapons, more weapons in general, tanks, you know, anti-tank uh, uh, weapons, and what have you, artillery. Um, and, uh, you know, the Russians haven't been able to uh, replace their losses. And uh, that's, that's adding up. It's a question of how long it's going to take the Ukrainians to take back everything. I mean, the Russians are now worried about losing, uh, you know, uh, Crimea. Crimea, they always thought, well, you know, he could only get into it through a narrow, you know, isthmus, <clears throat> which is which is basically a lot of, uh, you know, marshes and what have you. Uh, but now they're worried about the Ukrainians basically with their uh, with the superior aircraft and, and uh, air to air surface missiles and what have you. Uh, the Ukrainians are already starting to chew up uh, Russian forces in Crimea, <laughs> so they may be able to just walk in and uh, and take the place because there aren't going to be many Russian forces left intact or you know in fighting condition uh, the way things are going. Well, that's a good place to end. Yeah, it uh, is. Good, good discussion, and we'll talk to you, gentlemen, next time. Okay, take care. Bye. Bye, guys.